This is Deborah Roberts, co-anchor of 2020. Welcome to Bad Romance, a limited edition 2020 series you can watch on ABC Monday nights right after The Bachelor. Have a listen. couldn't paint a happier picture. Two teachers in love, weeks away from having their second child. But a smashed window, a ransacked home, and a body in a closet will end it all. It will take decades to bring the murderer to justice, to figure out who is responsible for their shattered love. I responded along with another paramedic. There are certain calls you never forget, and this is one of them. Harris County 911. My wife has been shot. Oh, It's got blood everywhere. Okay, sir, is she bleeding? No, I think she's already dead. She's eight months pregnant. It's 1986. It's an all-American town, Katy, Texas, and an all-American boy grows up here. So Katy, Texas was really known for its rice farms, and it's also known as the waterfowl hunting capital of the world. David Temple is a star football player at Katy High School. He's kind of a local hero around town. He was a, a terrific linebacker. And they tagged him with a nickname, the Temple of Doom. (laughs) David ended up getting a scholarship to Stephen F. Austin in Nacogdoches. David Temple, the linebacker, 5'11", 233, out of Katy, Texas. He was a very aggressive person, you know, on the football field and off. At Stephen F. Austin University, David Temple would wind up crossing paths with a local girl named Belinda Lucas. Belinda grew up in Nacogdoches, which is a small college town. It's rural, a very small, quaint environment. She always had a smile on her face, and she loved life, and she loved people. Friends paint a vivid picture of this young couple with their future ahead of them. He was very affectionate with her. He always had his arm around her. After dating for just a year, David drops down on one knee at the 50-yard line. He came over and asked for a hand in marriage, and uh, we thought that was a neat thing. Both of them get their master's in education. Then shortly after, they have their son, Evan, and move back to David's hometown, Katie. Belinda and David both get jobs as teachers, and David got a job as a high school football coach and a teacher. He was a great coach. He was tough on the kids, but you have to be. Belinda is now teaching special ed at Katie High School. We called her our sunshine lady. She was just a bubbly young woman and loved teaching. 
She was very caring and loving with Evan. After a full day of work, no matter how tired she would, every day they would be playing in the driveway. How would you describe David Temple as a father? I think the best evidence of who David is, is Evan. In the summer of 1998, the Temples find out good news. Belinda's pregnant again. It's going to be a girl. They're going to call her Erin, and the pregnancy's going well. I walk in the nursery, and it's a beautiful, bright yellow. Then I had asked her at that time when the baby was due again. She said in about a month. Belinda was extremely vulnerable at that time. She just didn't know how vulnerable. It's a totally normal day. They go to work, drop their son Evan off at his daycare. But Evan isn't feeling too well. Belinda got a call from the daycare center. So she had to go pick up Evan. She is going to take Evan home. He's sick. At what point does she get a hold of David? The phone records show that she finally got a hold of him somewhere around 12.10 and 12.15. And he left the school campus and went to the house. As soon as David gets home, Belinda heads back to school. She returned to the school at 1 o'clock. I remember looking at the clock, and I said, Oh, you were fast, Belinda. You did a good job. A couple of hours later, Belinda finishes work and leaves school around 3.20 or 3.30. David says when she gets home, she goes upstairs to rest, and he plans to take Evan to the park and run some errands. When David comes home, the gate is open, the door has been broken, and he knows that something is really wrong. He panics and he takes Evan across the street to their friends. His neighbor, Mike, answers the door. David quickly asks him to take Evan, then spins back around. David then takes off like a linebacker after a running back and barrels through the back gate. He runs upstairs and finds Belinda. He immediately goes to the landline and calls 911. Does she have a call? No, she said, oh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. With the injuries that Belinda had, it, it was instant death. It seems that while David's out running errands with little Evan, a burglar breaks in. And with one shot, his wife and their unborn child are brutally murdered. But when police arrive, things aren't adding up. As an investigator, you just know when you see something that doesn't look right. And that didn't look right to me. In a single crime scene photo, what does the investigator see? David Temple walks into the, the most horrifying scene imaginable. His wife, his, his pregnant wife, Belinda, is lying in the closet, and there is blood everywhere. Okay, I want you to do CPR for that baby. I can't, her head gone. <laughs> oh. 
There was a call put out, and we had learned that someone had been shot. I was the first Sheriff's Department person to arrive. Well, at first glance, it looks just like a burglary. You see forced entry to the back door, and that's kind of what you think. Once they get to the master bedroom closet, the scene is horrific. The victim laying on the floor of the closet. Belinda, nearly nine months pregnant, lying face down with a massive wound to the back of her head. I was home, and I didn't hear anything. I didn't hear anything. Sorry. I went to my knees. I wanted the, the right person arrested. If I brought that girl into this world, that I figured it was my duty to take care of her. Our top story on Eyewitness News. A Katy High School teacher, eight months pregnant, was murdered execution style at her home. A husband makes a gruesome discovery. He didn't know if it was just some random kids coming in, trying to steal stuff, and she got in the way, and so they killed her. With the killer still on the loose, the neighborhood is uneasy. She's a very nice person. It just, it's kind of scary, you know? happening in your own neighborhood and right next door to me. Students are now grieving for their loss. She helped a lot of troubled teens. She was a good person. She didn't deserve this. One of the first things that strikes the investigators is that this murder happened in broad daylight. Not even the dumbest burglar in the world is going to break into a home when people are coming home from work, go up and shoot and execute a pregnant woman. It looks like a burglary, but as they start looking at it a lot more closely, things aren't adding up. For investigators, if it's a burglary and the door is closed and somebody punches through the window frame, why is the glass scattered over to the other side? Shouldn't the glass have gone straight into the house and onto the couch? Investigators believe the only way that glass could have gotten into that part of the room was if the door was open when the glass was broken. Investigators see this big, gigantic television. It looks to be kind of laid on its side and still plugged in. We noticed several drawers were open, but the contents of the drawers weren't disturbed. It was kind of what was the point of opening it. It looked like nothing had been really touched. As an investigator, you just know when you see something that doesn't look right, and that didn't look right to me. At the same time, investigators are on the hunt inside the house and around the nearby fields for the murder weapon. Based on the pellets that were found, investigators figure out that it's a double-lot buckshot shell that was used to commit this crime. Buckshot is only used in shotguns, and it's typically used for hunting birds. Cops search the house and they find two rifles, but they don't find a shotgun. The scene looks suspicious, and the police started to shift their focus. They started looking at David. He's her husband, and he was the last person to see her alive. There was simply no DNA, no blood, no anything that could tie David Temple to the shooting itself. It's a chaotic and a bloody scene. Right. How come he's not bloody? He did not get down. Or if he did get down, he just reached down and touched her neck. 
A distraught husband doesn't get down to try to grab his wife or help his wife? People respond differently. I can't explain what happened at that time. Of course, the police bring David in for questioning, and he tells them where he was that afternoon. And it's all on tape. Surveillance video actually captures David across town, nowhere near his house, at a grocery store. Then there's one more video at 514 at a Home Depot. So we have these two surveillance videos where David is captured throughout the afternoon on camera. It's an airtight alibi. So David is captured on tape across town and has no apparent motive. But as investigators begin to dig a little deeper into David and Belinda's relationship... They talk to friends of Belinda and they learn that this wasn't the perfect marriage. According to Belinda's friends, David would call her fat and he started to spend a lot of time away from home. But by spring of that year, she'd become pregnant with their second child. She was so excited about this new baby coming and she didn't feel like David was as excited. Boom, there's other reasons, other ulterior motives behind David Temple's behavior. The proverbial other woman enters the picture. Welcome, mystery enthusiasts. If you're a fan of uncovering hidden clues and solving mind-bending mysteries, then you're in for a treat with June's Journey, the thrilling detective game set in the mesmerizing world of the Roaring Twenties. Dive into the glamour and intrigue as you engage your sense of observation to find hidden objects from the parlors of New York to the sidewalks of Paris. Each chapter unravels a collection of dazzling hidden object spectacles, testing your detective skills to the limit. Go deep into the mysteries of June's journey, navigating through intriguing chapters. The thrill of solving each puzzle will keep you coming back for more. The storytelling is absolutely captivating. You'll be hooked from the first chapter. Whether it's during your commute or a cozy evening at home, June's journey is your new go-to game. Make sure you've got that internet connection ready for an uninterrupted detective experience. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Some folks don't stop searching till they find the truth. If you've got a detective's eye, June's Journey is the game for you. Play as June Parker in a gripping murder mystery as you find hidden objects to help solve her sister's death. You'll hunt for clues in hundreds of beautifully illustrated scenes set in the roaring 20s. New chapters are added weekly. Find your first clue by downloading June's Journey today. Available on Android and iOS mobile devices, as well as on PC through Facebook games. Belinda Temple has been found shot execution style in her closet. Her husband David's alibi is right there on surveillance tape. But then investigators make a big discovery. His affair with a fellow teacher, a woman named Heather Scott. Heather Scott had grown up in Little Rock, Arkansas. She had gone to college in Texas, and that year she was teaching ninth grade English. The teachers at their school would go out for drinks. They were friendly, and they were flirt with each other, and one thing led to another. During the holiday season, things really started getting heated up between David and Heather. On Belinda's birthday, David announces he's got big plans for New Year's. But Belinda's not involved in those plans. All of a sudden, David Temple is going hunting. 
And of course, if you're Belinda, you're going, what? David's wife is pregnant, about to have a second child. But he leaves to go on a trip. The only hunting David Temple was doing was he was hunting down Heather Scott for a very nice romantic liaison weekend. According to Heather, the week before Belinda was murdered, David says, I think I'm falling in love with you. Then, on January 11th, Belinda is murdered. But after the murder, according to friends, it seems like David's attention is on something else. When the days after Belinda was killed, David was actually talking about Heather a lot. Now keep in mind, your wife was murdered, your unborn child murdered, and you're going around asking your colleagues, how was Heather doing? A picture begins to emerge for investigators. You've got a cheating husband who wants to be with his mistress, but can't for obvious reasons. Of course, the investigators, that was their aha moment. David was having an affair, so he must have killed her. But that just doesn't compute. There are lots and lots of people that have affairs that don't kill their wives. And there's that videotape of David in the stores. He isn't charged. David and Heather continue their relationship and almost six months to the day after Belinda's death, they get married. With Evan's mom gone, Heather is now raising him as her own. It's been four whole years since Belinda's murder, but the case heats up when lab results come in. Harris County investigators sent David and Belinda Temple's clothing to the notoriously backlogged FBI crime lab since Harris County didn't have the necessary testing equipment. Then the 9-11 attacks delayed testing even more. Finally, detectives tell us they got results back. Tests on the clothes reveal gunshot residue on David Temple's clothing, which matches residue on the clothes the victim was wearing the day she died. Up until now, there has not been one shred of evidence placing David at the scene of the murder. Remember, he had what appeared to be an airtight alibi, out shopping while the murder may have been committed. The gunshot residue can suddenly change the narrative. Authorities say they always suspected David Temple of having a hand in his wife's murder. Today, they took him into custody, charged him with the crime nearly six years after it happened. Belinda's family, remember they're saying, thank God it's finally happening. In spite of the violence of the crime, David makes bond. He's out of jail. As often happens, it will be another three years until the case goes to trial. More than eight years ago, a shotgun blast shattered the lives of a Katy school teacher and a football coach husband. Her husband, accused of the brutal crime, today got his first look at the men and women that will decide his fate. David's lawyer is Dick DeGarren, a powerhouse famous among lawyers, and he'll be facing off with one of the boldest prosecutors in the Harris County DA's office, Kelly Siegler. It was being built a clash of the titans. Siegler versus DeGarren. And DeGarren's startling first move, he asked the judge to throw out a key piece of physical evidence linking David to the murder, a move that could turn this trial on its head. Could David go free?
It's the start of David Temple's trial, and the lawyers are facing off about a key piece of physical evidence. The FBI had found what they said were traces of gunshot residue on David Temple's clothes. Temple's attorney immediately tried to have that excluded from evidence. What we discovered was that the lab for the FBI shared a ventilation system with the shooting range, which means that all this gunshot residue from the shooting range goes up into the vents and then comes back down into the laboratory. And so none of the tests that came out of that lab could be uh, trusted. The judge ruled in the defense's favor. This is a huge blow to the prosecution. This gunshot residue was the only physical evidence that they had linking David Temple to the crime. Defense attorney Dick DeGarren walked into court confident, hopeful that a jury will find David Temple not guilty for the brutal 1999 slaying of his pregnant wife. Oh, I'm just looking forward to another day of no evidence against David Temple. If you're the prosecutor after that ruling, she's still going to try to prove that David Temple had a motive. On January the 8th of 1999, a Friday, the defendant says to Heather Scott, you know I'm falling in love with you. And she says, I feel the same way. Three days later, Melinda Temple was executed in the back of the head in the home where she lived with this man. But the defense describes the former high school football coach as a loving husband. David and Melinda Temple were deeply in love with each other. Temple constantly cried, especially when he testified about his wife, Belinda. I loved my wife until the day she died. Both the prosecution and the defense rest. The jury deliberates for eight hours. We, the jury, find the defendant, David Mark Temple, guilty of murder as charged in the indictment. When David was found guilty, I was like, finally, justice for Belinda did to his eight-month pregnant wife, he deserved a maximum sentence. He got life in prison. For five years, David sits in prison. Case is done, right? Except after five years, the defense lawyer gets an unexpected phone call. One evening, really in the middle of the night, I got a call from a kid that identified himself to me as Daniel Glasscock. Daniel Glasscock had overheard supposedly a conversation uh, among some kids. He said Riley Joe Sanders had confessed in a roundabout way to killing Belinda. I really believe that an innocent man is sitting in prison for something he didn't do. This is a claim David Temple's defense team would use when appealing his conviction. Riley Joe Sanders was a teenager who lived next door, and he had a grudge against her. And he had access to his father's guns. In a strange turn of events, Riley Joe was the young man who gave an interview to the local TV station the night of Belinda's murder. She's a very nice person. She's very helpful in school. I can't believe anything like this would ever happen to her. Daniel comes forward as a witness and tells Dick DeGaron what he says he knows. Do you understand that what you say is a sworn statement? Yes, sir. Daniel had been in the group that hung around with Riley Joe Sanders just a few days after the murder. Daniel was at Riley Joe Sanders' house. The kids are on the patio 
talking about how a burglary went wrong and about how they shot a dog and put it in the closet. And Belinda Temple was killed in a closet. Daniel comes to the belief that maybe dog was code for Belinda Temple. But this allegation wasn't new to investigators. In fact, they'd already looked into Riley Joe Sanders as a person of interest years before in the original investigation. But they eventually cleared him of any suspicion. But armed with this new information, Temple's defense team wants to know what else weren't they told. Temple's defense team realized that there was information or evidence that might have been withheld by police or prosecutors that could have helped him that, that they never even saw before the trial. And that, they say, isn't any kind of justice. It's the law. The prosecution is supposed to turn everything they've got over to the defense. The case works its way through the Texas State Court of Criminal Appeals, and everything changes for David Temple. Temple's conviction thrown out because of hundreds of pages of evidence, which the court agreed prosecutors either didn't share with the defense or didn't show them until well into the trial. After nine years in prison, David is released on $30,000 bond. And they're going to do the trial all over again. It's been a long journey. This is a portion of that journey that's been completed. And uh, we're waiting for justice to be served once and for all. David lives his life as a free man for the next two and a half years. His lawyers are going to make sure that all the evidence is now heard. But nobody knows that the prosecution would have new evidence of their own. Katie Mann, accused of killing his pregnant wife 20 years ago, is going back to court for another trial. As the trial begins, David's wife Heather files for divorce. But his son Evan, now a grown man at 28, is there to support his father. I remember when Evan Temple came in. That was the saddest moment I've ever seen in a courtroom, was seeing Evan and seeing members of Belinda's family go, he's got Belinda's eyes. We get a new set of prosecutors, Lisa Tanner and Bill Turner, and they're really focusing on the fact that there couldn't have been anyone else but David Temple who murdered his wife. There is only one person on this earth who had the motive, the means, and the opportunity to cause her death. And that was this defendant, her husband of seven years. This time around, David has a new defense team with a new strategy, casting suspicion on Riley Joe Sanders. He lived next door to her, and he went to school at Katie High School, and she had him in some of her special ed classes. And that wasn't a secret that he was constantly missing school, doing other things but his academic work. Well, in the temple complained to his parents about him skipping school, and they lost his driving privileges. It's pretty safe to say that Riley Joe could have had a grudge against Belinda Temple, but is that a motive for murder? defense attorneys Stanley Schneider and Rami Kaplan and to put all their eggs into the basket of blaming Riley Joe Sanders. Even though Riley Joe was clear during the original investigation, David's defense team is taking that early suspicion about the boy next door and running with it. How did Linda Temple describe Joe Sanders? Did she say that she was afraid of Joe Sanders? Yes. Everyone's waiting to hear what Riley Joe Sanders has to say as he takes the stand. 
How will he respond to allegations by the defense that he had something to do with Belinda's murder? Raise your right hand. Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth shall be God? Yes, ma'am. Or is David Temple's airtight alibi not so airtight? Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts. We've got the exclusive view behind the table. Every day, right after the show, while the topics are still hot, the ladies go deeper into the moments that make the view the view. The View's Behind the Table podcast. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. It's David Temple's second trial, and the defense's new strategy is to pin the murder on their next door neighbor, Riley Joe Sanders. Why don't you tell these folks your name? Riley Joe Sanders III. Riley Joe Sanders is 37 years old, but at the time of the crime in January 11th, 1999, he was just a 16-year-old boy. Let's skip the niceties. Okay. Let's cut to the checks. Tell these folks, did you have anything to do with Mrs. Temple's murder? No, did not. Did you have any hard feelings against Mrs. Temple for ratting you out on your skipping school? No. Prosecutors walk Riley Joe Sanders through what he did the day of the murder, and it starts off with him talking about how he skipped the last period of the school day. And did you skip alone or with someone? I was with the buddy, Cody Ellis. So when you and Cody got to your house, what did y'all do? Rolled a joint, turned TV on and laid on the couch and passed out. How'd you wake up? Uh, my father. Did you go outside? Yes, ma'am. What'd you see? A bunch of cops. Prosecutors want to show that the worst thing that Riley Joe Sanders is guilty of is smoking some pot and cutting class. The defense wants the jurors to believe a darker chain of events. The defense grills Riley Joe Sanders' father about shotguns that he owns. Did Joe have blanket permission from you to take your shotguns out? Yes, sir. Do you own, or do you own, an H&R single-shot shotgun? Back then I did. Yes, sir. The testimony from his dad that he owned the same kind of shotgun as was used in the murder, that his son could have access to it whenever he wanted, could become that aha moment for the defense. The prosecution says, not so fast. They point out the fact that David also had access to that kind of shotgun. The defendant was a hunter. He had hunted with a 12-gauge shotgun. So now they're out to prove that maybe David ditched the shotgun during the day. The big question is, when? He has an airtight alibi. Well, it turns out they are going to use his airtight alibi against him. Those surveillance tapes of him out running errands. These two stores, Berkshire Brothers and the Home Depot, are at most 15 minutes apart. 
He's seen on this video, he's gone by 4.38. He doesn't get to this video till 5.14. That's 36 minutes. 36 minutes on a trip that the prosecution says really should take about 15 minutes. So the question is, where was David the rest of the time? The prosecution brings in a witness, a high school friend of David's, who says he saw David out running errands that day. What were you doing the afternoon of January 11th, 1999? Roughly 4.55, I was turning on the Katie Hockley cutoff, going northbound. And then I saw a blue truck, and it was David in the truck, and I just passed him up. And what's located at Katie Hockley cutoff? Miles and miles of rice fields. The prosecution suggests miles of places to hide the murder weapon. We now know when David might have disposed of the murder weapon. But there's another big question. When might he have committed the murder itself? He had told police that Belinda had gotten home and had gone upstairs to lay down. You know, the evidence didn't seem to match that. She's wearing her glasses. She's got her shoes on. Prosecutors think that this points to the idea that she was murdered pretty quickly after she got home. She gets home and immediately something happens. Something terrible happens. He gets the shotgun, and in an instant, she's dead. The prosecution's theory is he commits the murder as soon as she walks in the door. But the defense says there wasn't enough time for him to have killed her and then made it to Brookshire Brothers by 432. David Temple would have to have got three, four, maybe five minutes to get his eight-month pregnant wife into the house, up the stairs, into the closet, and kill her. Stage the burglary and make it seem like something happened that didn't happen. But prosecutors have an answer for that, too. They say David committed the murder before running those errands. As for staging the burglary, they say he did that after he got back home. That window of time on the back end is when he staged the scene. And defense counsel wants to tell you, oh my God, he did not have time to do all that staging. There just was not enough time for him to do it. Really? Okay. So the prosecutor wants to show in real time how quickly the scene could have been staged. She uses a computer printer as a TV to show that could have been overturned quickly. She takes a bag and puts it into what could have been a closet where the bag was found and then shows how a drawer could have been opened and comes back to say, guess what? I just fed you something. That took me 25 seconds. After all the evidence is presented, the defense gives their closing arguments. In order to prove someone guilty beyond a reasonable doubt, you have to prove they had an opportunity. There is no opportunity. This narrow window of time is reasonable doubt. We all know people who have affairs who love their spouses. This betrayal does not prove that he killed her. David Temple is not guilty. Thank you. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I'm now formally giving the case to you. With that, go with the bailiff, elect a four-person, and begin your deliberations. The next day, the jury returns with their verdict. You can just feel the emotions 
Everyone is really tense and on the seat of the bench. The saddest part of this whole ordeal is Evan. He's got to be torn. He's lost his mom, and now he may lose his dad for a second time. This verdict is 20 years in the making. Will the jury rule that an innocent man has spent almost a decade in prison? Or that David Temple is a cold-blooded killer? The first ever criminal trial of a former president is underway in Manhattan. It's one of potentially four trials facing former President Trump as he makes his third bid for the White House. What do voters think about his culpability, and would a guilty verdict make a difference in the election? I'm Galen Druk, and every Monday and Thursday on the 538 Politics podcast, we break down the latest news from the campaign trail. We sort through the noise and zoom in on what really matters, using data and research as we go. That's 538 Politics every Monday and Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts. All you can do while a jury deliberates is wait. For families on both sides, it's almost unbearable. David and Evan Temple hoping he's set free. Belinda Temple's family hoping he's convicted. All rise for the jury. And they are all about to hear the verdict. All right, please be seated. Uh, Mr. Foreman, I understand that the jury has reached a unanimous verdict. Is that correct? We have the honor. All right, could you hand the verdict form to the bailiff? We, the jury, find the defendant, David Mark Temple, guilty of murder as charged in the indictment. Twenty and a half years, a little over two decades, I've, I've fought behind the scenes to get justice for Belinda. It's finally, I've done for a change. Maybe Belinda can finally rest. Of course, there's more. The jury's about to recommend a sentence, two tense hours until they return to court. So we're coming back into the courtroom after hearing the guilty verdict, and, and you can just feel the emotions thick in the air. His mother is crying. David looks like he's been crying. And now we're all waiting to see what the punishment will be. Based on what the law was at the time of this incident, the jury has enormous latitude to sentence him to anything from probation to life in prison. All right, defense, call your next. His son is probably the single most important witness in the sentencing phase because he's also the son of the victim. Evan testifies on behalf of his dad. So it was a big moment. Everybody was wondering, what is Evan going to say? Can you say your name, please? Evan Temple. How old are you? 24. The person sitting next to me, who is he? My father, David Temple. You believe in your father? Yes, 100%. You would think that it wouldn't be that hard for a jury that has convicted someone of murder to send him to prison. 
But you have to wonder whether or not this jury might have been thinking if it was right to take Evan's father away from him for a second time. Still has that unwavering belief that he did not kill his mother. As he sits here today, he has that belief. David has served, he was in custody for 10 years, separated from his son. When, when Evan testified, I said, his mother would be so proud of him. Then I thought to myself, his mother should be here to be proud of him, and she's not. He should pay with a sentence of life. All right, ladies and gentlemen, go with the bailiff and begin your deliberations on punishment. So the jury goes off to decide punishment and we're all waiting anxiously in the courtroom and the hours are ticking by. And then next thing you know, the days are ticking by. All rise for the jury. The court is in receipt of the following note. It says, judge, when Two jurors are not willing to budge at all. There is nothing more we can do. Based on that note, it is at this time that the court declares a mistrial. It was brutal. You could hear a pin drop. Just a never-ending nightmare. It means another trial. This time, just about David's sentence. I was dumbfounded. That was the last thing I expected. Evan may have touched them. The fact that the jury became aware that he had already served 10 years had to have had an impact. He's still convicted, and an entirely new jury is now going to be brought in to evaluate what punishment he should get. COVID closes the courts. So David Temple sits in prison for four years before his resentencing trial, now 24 years since Belinda's murder in 1999. From suspicion and arrest, through conviction, and then liberation, then conviction a second time, a mistrial on sentencing, what will his punishment be? We, the jury, assess his punishment at confinement in the Institutional Division of the Texas Department of Criminal Justice for life. We asked David Temple for an interview for this program. He declined. Defense attorneys say they're disappointed with the sentence. David's family did not speak with the media. Belinda's family thankful to detectives who they say spent a good part of their career working on her case. The original detective, emotional after the verdict. After 24 years, we're very thankful. Justice has been done for Belinda and Aaron. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. David Temple is a cold-blooded, diabolical murderer who deserves to spend the rest of his life in prison. His family can visit him. Belinda's family has to visit her in a grave. Of course, 
David Temple isn't the only one who got a life sentence. His son, Evan, got life without his mother. When you consider the obstacles, it's pretty remarkable, the young man that Evan has become. Scrolling through his Facebook page, you get a glimpse of the life that he's living now. Going to college, getting married, all these milestones that his mother has missed. He had a wonderful mom that loved him dearly. I hope he knows how much she did love him. Like many convicted murderers, David Temple's defense team is appealing his verdict. And to this day, David maintains his innocence. You can watch fresh episodes of Bad Romance from 2020 on Monday nights at 10 p.m., right after The Bachelor. And of course, tune in on Fridays at 9 for all new episodes of 2020. Thanks for listening.